What happens if you fall for a catfisher, but you keep dating the person? Isn't that just a romance scam then? What's the difference between a romance scam and a catfisher? I guess we're going to find out this week. And with that, welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. Donna, it is great to meet you. We really appreciate you coming on our show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Donna Hayes. I am 61 years old. I live in New York City. I am originally from Jamaica, West Indies. I migrated here in the mid-70s when I was 14 years old. And you talk about this in your book, which is fantastic. These Broken Roads, Scammed and Vindicated, One Woman's Story. And so it's, you really do a good job of, of, of telling that story. Thank you. Yeah, I think I went through a very interesting transition. Went through, you know, the schooling system, high school and college. And my most recent role, I was a managing director for an international investment bank where I was the deputy head of human resources for the HR team. I am also a SAG APTRA actress. And I'm also a cabaret singer. I also own my own life coaching company. I'm certified through ICF. <laughs> so you're not busy at all. <laughs> you mentioned that you were a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Um, what have you been in that we may have seen? Well, I was um, I was in Orange is the New Black. I did a lot of Law & Order SVU. I've been off Broadway in Bellevue Sketches. I'm a cabaret singer, so have written and uh, produced six one-woman shows performing in different venues. What is an ICF coach? And it's it's certification by the International Coach Federation, which is the gold standard of all coaching certifications. And what are you coaching? Baseball? (laughs) I, I actually started the coaching practice after the scam because like to coach women, primarily shed victimhood, because I felt that when that happened, that was something that I needed. And I felt that shortly after the scammer started speaking with a lot of women who went through similar things and the common thread in speaking with them was shame and they were ashamed of talking about it. And I decided to form this practice. So before we get into your particular story, you talk about shedding shame. And I'm curious, what is that process like? What exactly are the steps of shedding shame for your clients? Sure, I think you need to separate this person from you, right? You did not do this thing. This thing was done to you, despite how it makes you feel afterwards. It was done to you. So I said, do not wear the cloak of shame. It does not belong to you. Start thinking about it. It belongs to that person who did the thing. And it's so easy for us when something happens for us to kind of own it, own the bad thing that happened, even though we are not responsible for it. Because we worry about 
what will people think? What will people say? Will people judge me? Will people call me stupid? And that was something that I struggled with. I was a managing director for a huge international investment bank, yet I succumbed. I, I, I fell for this. And a lot of, I met a lawyer who had a similar thing. She was engaged to the guy and he stole $250,000 from her. And she was ashamed because what will people think? And I think you have to kind of compartmentalize that. You have to put that aside. And this focus on who actually did the deed. And that's very, very freeing. I, I, I don't like to use the word the victim, but the, the person who, who this happened to, who is this person? And why was this person low-hanging fruit? Why was it so easy for that to happen to that person? Well, you know, and the other thing here is that, you know, our energy and our our strength ebbs and flows and through life. And there are times when we are more susceptible, more vulnerable to people like the guy that we're about to talk about. So who is Javier de, de Leon? Javier de Leon is someone I dated for 18 months. And um, he lives or lived in the Bronx at the time I lived in Manhattan. I met him on a dating website. Eight years after my my second marriage ended, and I took eight years to, as I said, focus on me. And things were going fantastically. I mean, my career was was soaring. My I'm getting all these cool parts that I was I was performing, I was singing, I was doing a lot. Yet at that time I was 54 years old and I wanted companionship. And someone suggested that I try this online dating website that catered to individuals over 50 and you think well someone over 50 is mature and established and what have you and I tried and I met a few people but he's the one person that I decided to go out with what made him stand out he was charming he seemed genuinely interested in me and um who I was he talked a lot about coming from a very traumatizing background himself. Talked about poverty and his mom's struggle with drug abuse and his sons. And, you know, we just seemed to kind of connect with trauma, you know. And he seemed really, he was very caring. And I needed that at that time. He was very caring. He was very doting. Um, I loved his company, had an amazing sense of humor, nice looking gentleman. And um, I just felt we, we, we connected. And uh, how much of this communication uh, at the beginning of the relationship was on the dating app or dating site itself? We got off the dating site, I would say maybe within two weeks. So you were on the dating site. What was the dating site you were using? Our time. You were using our time. Had you used other ones previous to using our time? Yeah, I'd used, um, I'd looked at uh, like match, but they were for the like younger people. And I'd even tried um, a dating site where they actually, you know, I went and paid a certain amount of money and they would then connect with individuals. But I would not be allowed to see pictures of this person because they didn't want it to be about looks. And I was, I, I think I got 12 dates and for each of the dates I was the, African, they were all, they were, none of them were African-American. And I walked and they all went, ooh, you know, because we didn't get a chance to see each other's pictures before. So I tried that. But as far as getting into a relationship with someone, this was the first. But when you were 
using dating apps and also going to dating sites, mm -hmm. did you run into a lot of sketchy people, some sketchy people, or you found for the most part they weren't? No, I, I was able to identify individuals who I thought were sketchy. For example, the sketchy ones are always in a faraway land, in you know, on some ship in the Dead Sea. You know, it is he's you know he's in the army, he's in the army, and they all have the same thing. My wife just died, and I have a young child. So with Javier, the whole process took about three weeks until you actually met him. During the uh, three-week period when you were communicating, was he extremely doting? Yeah, you know, so you're so beautiful, and you know. I would tell him about my career and what it is that I did, and he would he seemed so impressed with who I was and what I did and what I accomplished. Yeah, so you know he was it was that way. Yeah. So you met him. Mm -hmm. How was how was the first date? First, it was really really nice. I arrived first, then he walked in. He was he was a few minutes late. He walked in. And sat down. It was you know we I remember we shook hands and we had made small talk. And then we had dinner, and he was great sense of humor. I was just laughing a lot. And then after that, he suggested that we go to this lounge. There's a lounge on, on I think it's on the um, the Lower West Side. And we got on the train, and we went to this lounge, and we sat there. We chatted for about till about um, close to midnight, eleven thirty. Then after that, I took an Uber. He was in the Uber with me. I dropped him off at the subway, and then I went home. And then we continued our conversations after that. When you left Javier at the subway, was that the end of the communication that night? Or were there a lot of texts, like, you know, continuing the conversation? I didn't text him that night. He didn't text you? No, did he text me? No, I think we texted the next morning, and I said, he said, oh, I... And I had a great time, blah, blah, blah. The usual beats of a scam like this is the guy is going to start love bombing you. He's going to, you know, oh my gosh, that was so fun. I feel like you're a soulmate. I cannot believe we just had such a nice time. I can't wait to see you again. Yeah, that absolutely happened. But the next morning, not that night. Oh, because he's not stupid like me. He was like, he was playing it cool. Yeah, he was the next morning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Got you. Did you did you find after that that he was texting you more than you were texting him? Yeah, I think I think most of the texts were initiated by him. Yeah. So you got the sense that he was pursuing you at that point. For sure. I, I think there was a duality. I think what he was what he did during that conversation, he tried to demonstrate why he and I are similar. Says so you know you went through this stuff and I went through this stuff, you know, and here we are at the crossroads and. You know, he was he was trying to show me that he's been through some stuff as well, because, you know, I talked about living in Jamaica, what that was like. He asked me about my relationship with my parents and which is not a strong relationship, but he had a really strong relationship with his mother. Um, and he talked a lot about her and that she was sick and dying and talked about his son. And he was divorced. He was divorced. And I do remember it's not in the book, but I do remember during that dinner, he FaceTimed who I thought was his ex-wife. And he put me on the camera and to say, hi, this is my son's, this is my son's mom. And I remember thinking that that was odd. And I waved at her. I now know that he was in a relationship all along the 18 months that we were together, but maybe that was her. I don't know. 
So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. So, Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. It sounds like looking back, it's easier to see some of the red flags. But at that moment, it doesn't necessarily feel that way. I mean, you were in love. This is your person. If he wasn't love bombing at first, he's definitely starting to up his game. A year and a half, during that period of time, he tattooed my initials in large black letters across his chest. He proposed. I met his cousin. I met his sister. I met his niece. I would FaceTime with his son on a regular basis. I would FaceTime with his mom. He would FaceTime with my daughter every single Sunday because she lives on the West Coast. So we were in this flow. We were in this relationship. I felt that this was my person. He was with me practically every weekend, with the exception of one. He was with me every single weekend. He was here. who would come over Friday night or Saturday night and go home on Monday or whatever. We spent every weekend together. We would go to dinner and to the movies and to hike. We went hiking. I don't hike. In the early part of the relationship, maybe three weeks into the relationship, he introduced me to his cousin. And I don't want to say much about that cousin because the, the matter is still in litigation. Three, within three weeks, Javier showed up at my building, which was not unusual, say, oh, I want you to meet my cousin. And I went down and I met his cousin, who is an attorney. And his cousin 
we went to a restaurant down the block and we sat and we had lunch. During the course of that conversation, his cousin talked a lot, says, oh, because you're in human resources, I want you to take a look at my resume. I want you to give me some advice about some employment matters that I'm having at my company. And we talked about that. So you met the cousin. He's a lawyer. I get how that could be trustworthy or, you know, maybe make you feel like, ah, whatever, he's a lawyer. So at the time, I was looking to buy retirement property. I live in Manhattan, which as you, I'm sure, know, it's a very expensive place to live. And then here about 17 years, well, then I was there about uh, 10 years or something like that. And um, I was looking to buy property and I was looking at apartments in Manhattan and, you know, one bedroom in Manhattan is a million dollars, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars $900,000. Nothing that I could certainly afford. And he says, why would you, why don't you just invest in my cousin's property? He purchased it whatever, how many years previously, and it's been renovated. I just want you, why don't you just take a look at it? It's not far from Manhattan. It's, you know, it's a real investment. There are three apartments, the top floor, the second floor, and the bottom floor. And let's go take a look at it. And I remember him saying, why do you keep talking about this house? Every chance you get, you talk about this house. And so I decided to go to look, look at the house. I think it was in March of 2017, we had been going, we had been dating now since January of 2016. I went to look at the house. I practically spent the, and the cousin gave him the keys so he can get in the house, went to look at the house. And he had lots of potential as far as earning income. And so I said, okay, I looked at it. I thought about it. But the thing is, I never wasn't speaking to the cousin. I was just, he was saying, I spoke to my cousin and he said X, Y, Z. And I decided that, okay, okay. You mentioned that it had been renovated. Uh, was it a nice place or did it need a lot of work? It needed a lot of work. It was a shell of a place. I wanted to, and you know, I had them on video telling me all about, oh, we did this and we did this and we did this and we did that. I went to the top floor and looked at everything. It had four bedrooms. The second floor had third, three bedrooms and the bottom floor had one bedroom. Huge backyard, giant basement. And so, it, it, yeah, it was, it, you could tell that part was true. It was in the process of being renovated. You saw paint cans all over the place and paint brushes and whatever stuff people use to renovate properties. It had real potential. Now, did he get you to buy it? Yeah, this is where it gets a, a, little, a little interesting. So he said that his cousin was, was willing to sell the house to me for, I think at the time it was like $100,000. And at the time I was doing a lot of traveling. I was doing some acting gigs on the West Coast. And he said that he found a contractor and this contractor wanted X amount of money if we paid it, did it in cash because it's cheaper that way. Now, by then, Javier was practically living with me. You, you know, so I didn't think anything of it. I thought, this is my person, and this is something that would ultimately benefit the both of us. The work commenced. You didn't own it, but you were you were paying to have this work done right. with an eye toward being an investor in the property. Is that is that accurate? I was going to own the property, and his cousin and I were supposed to meet to for him to turn the deed over to me. But it just kept not happening for one reason or another. After I gave him the last bit of money. 
He drove me to my office, said goodbye. I'm heading up to Connecticut now to handle the rent. You know, everything's almost done. And he says, I have an idea. Why don't we spend the weekend in this finished house? He said, it would be so nice. We'd be the first ones there before the tenants move in in June. Let's like, let's pack like a picnic. And I remember packing sleeping bags and my iPad and this and that and the other, thinking that, you know, oh my God, I was so excited. I'm going to go to see the house. And we were supposed to go that Friday. I gave him the last bit of money that Monday morning. That Tuesday, he stopped talking. I would call him. He wouldn't respond. When he did respond, very, very brief thing. I'm not feeling well. My I think I'm coming down with a sore throat or something. I'm like, oh, okay. That, that was Tuesday. Then Wednesday, similar thing happening. And then on Thursday, what happened? Was he still feeling unwell? No, Thursday morning at 9.43 that morning, Sadana, my mother, passed away last night. So whatever he had, his mom got. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What, Donna, what period of time from the beginning of when construction supposedly started Mm -hmm. to the point where he asked you for the last dollars, how long was that period of time? About four months. Four months. Okay. Now, the mom's dead. You've just given him the last uh, payment to finish the renovation. You must be planning to go up there for the funeral, no? Right. And th- that that's when things started to feel weird. Because now he's pulling away from me. And had I been in the same situation, I would want to pull, draw closer to someone that I'm in, relation- in the relationship with for comfort. So he starts pulling away. And he sent me this picture of the day of her week. Said so this is her wake is happening. And I said, well, where is it? I want to come to, to support you. And he said, I am so ashamed of the place. We, we don't have a lot of money and it's in this rinky-dink funeral room. It's a really bad neighborhood. And that's something he used a lot because I don't like bad neighborhoods. And that's something he knew. He said, you know, I just rather my sisters are, are, are hysterical. They want to fight each other. And I'd rather you not even see that. Did you assume that his standoffish nature was caused by the fact that he was like in mourning? Absolutely, in grief. And I remember asking some of my male friends, is this normal? You know, this is someone that we've been inseparable for the past 18 months. And now he's had this catastrophic thing happen and he doesn't want to be with me. And I remember one of my friends saying, well, men grieve differently. You know, he says people grieve differently and just just give him his space. And in one of the conversations when when we spoke, he said he's so distraught about the death of his mom. Did you know that Reese, Reese Witherspoon movie Wild? I want to be like her and just go into the woods. I'm just so broken that my mom has passed. And the following weekend was my birthday, which was also Mother's Day. And he said that he couldn't spend Mother's Day with me because he needed to be with her things. Um, he wanted to spend Mother's Day with her things. So, you know, and I was at that time trying not to be insensitive to him that, you know, this is just something that he was going through. But that's when things suddenly fell off. 
how much interaction had you actually had with his mother, if any? Not in person. I've never met her in person. And uh, how much time passes with him grieving and you feeling like, what am I, chopped liver? Like, you should be grieving on my shoulder. This is the shoulder you should right, be grieving right. on. Right. But, you know, we, after that, it was difficult to get him on the phone. He wouldn't call me back. He wouldn't write me back. When he did write back, he accused me of being selfish and not allowing him to grieve the death of his mother. And I was just so confused. I, like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to be here for you. And he says, look, I just need time. The people have moved into the house. I'm going to send you all of the paperwork. And I waited and waited. That didn't happen. On June 5th, which now we're talking maybe about three or four weeks after the death, I sent him a text and my text was a lot more forceful. And I said to him, what the hell is going on here? Okay, where's my money? You'd said that these people have paid the pot. Where's my money? And he says, what money? You gave me that money as a gift. $177,000. He says, you gave me that money as a gift. I just remember being so stunned. Like, what? And then I wrote back to him, well, this sounds like a legal matter. To which he responded, well, if it's going to be a legal matter, then we cannot have any further conversations. You can email me, but we're not going to speak on the phone. And I used some choice words, and that was the last. But even during that period of time, because he was so specific about the renovations, I was having such a tough time believing that happened that I was explaining it away to the death of his mom. That people in the house, he's just grieving. He's having a breakdown. And, and then I called, I, you know, someone suggested that I get an attorney, which I did. I Good got move. a yeah, I got an attorney in 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 Connecticut, and this attorney said to me, "You know what? My office is not far from the property. I'm just gonna drive down." And when he drove down and he called, we says, "It's not renovations. No one's living there." And I says, "Oh, I'm sorry. You must have gone to the wrong address." And I gave him the address again. He says, "Let me send you pictures of what I'm." And he sent me pictures, and it's. It's the house, but nothing's been done. It's, it's so difficult to even put into word the shock that he did that to me was that he lied. That such an elaborate lie where he would tell me day by day, this is what happened. This is where we are. I put in the jacuzzi. I found a great place for your piano. I found this and I, you know, you're going to love it. That none of that was real was really, really difficult for me. I mean, there's a lot of weeping and I'm calling my daughter and I'm calling my sisters and, and they're like, what? What? He's such a nice guy. You know, that type of thing. Yeah, I was, I was completely, completely and utterly distraught. And then we, my lawyer sent letters both to him and his cousin. And he called the lawyer, taunting him to prove it. 
prove that she gave me money. Prove it. So it was all unsecured, and guessing all of these, the, all of the money that changed hands was unsecured. It was cash. Right. That's so heartbreaking. I mean, your retirement, gone. Your savings, gone. Stolen by the person you thought loved you. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means you get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. I think it might be time, Donna, for you to be everyone's life coach and best friend, actress, cabaret singer, HR person, and <laughs> tell us, what do we do to keep this from happening to us? What did you learn? I learned so much about myself. And I now know that I was still so wounded from coming out of an abusive marriage. My ex-husband would, you know, throw the dog down a flight of stairs and they say, I, I want to I wanna kill everybody in the house. And, you know, when I'm sleeping, he'd flick the lights on and off or turn the stereo up really loud at three in the morning, anything to torment me. My daughter still say, I'm surprised we're not dead. And, you know, if, if you read my book, you know, I've been through a lot of things. And I was just looking for someone to be that shoulder for me to feel as if I belonged to someone. And he was so charming and so caring. But I now know that there was just kind of looking back, 
that I was just showing up so diminished and so needy of someone to care for me. And he knew that and he used that. And, you know, when, you know, these grand gestures with the tattoo, you know, it was a month into the relationship and, you know, and, you know, I want to marry, I want to spend my life with you. I needed to belong to someone. I needed to feel as if I belonged. And he did that. My recommendation to people, when you're going into any relationship, do the work in yourself first. Make sure that you are complete first. Make sure that you are whole first before looking for someone to fix you and to make you feel better about yourself and about your life. And this gentleman, I hate to call him a gentleman, but he was so, he was, he was, that was his talent. He was just very, very charming and he made me feel loved and he made me feel cared for and he made me feel supported. He made me feel so incredibly special, but I needed, I needed that more than I needed him, if that makes sense. It, it does make a lot of sense. It, th there was also a red flag in this relationship several months into it, wasn't there? Yes. So my daughter was working for an investigative service from when I met him. And about two weeks in, I asked my daughter, oh, let's just run a background check on him. And she did. And it turned out that in his 20s, now he's in his 50s, in his 20s, he robbed a bank. And when my daughter told me that, I asked him and he immediately denied it. And... I says, well, it's too coincidental. Your name, your date of birth, your address. And he said, can I just come and talk to you? I, I want to talk to you. And I says, there's really nothing to talk about. I just came out of a relationship where someone was just lying to me on a regular basis. You're lying. He says, I just want to talk. So he, me being me, because I'm me, I allowed him to come and sit and have this conversation with me. And he just told me this story about being hungry as a child and what that was like. And his sisters crying at nights because they were hungry because his mom was strung out on drugs. And how when as a young child, his uncle would take him out of school and take him to these very affluent neighbors, affluent neighborhoods in Westchester, New York, and taught him how to rob homes. And he just painted this really terrible picture. And me being me, he said, well, that doesn't define you. Who you were 30-something years ago doesn't define who you are now. You know, right now, you're a doting father. He would sit every night and do his, his son's homework with him on FaceTime. I would watch him. His son, every night, whenever he was here, was helping his son with his homework every single night. And he would FaceTime with his mom. And he just seemed like such a caring person. And I just felt like what happened or what he did is just based on adverse situations in his life and me being, you know, Donna to the rescue, let's fix it. You're not that. And I said, don't ever lie to me again. And then we started, I put his resume together and I connected him with a lot of friends in my network to find him gainful employment. So yes, that was a red flag, but... I decided that I shouldn't throw out baby with the bathwater, if you've ever heard that phrase before. I thought that he had amazing qualities, and I decided not 
to judge him for something that he did because he was hungry. And I believe that at that time. And it makes sense. I remember going back on the website, the same dating app, the same dating website where he met me. I said, let me go back on the website to see if he's, if he's back on. And lo and behold, he's back on with a different name, a different profile name, um, stating that he's an accountant. There was a picture with his son. And one of the pictures, he was wearing my shirt, one of my running shirts. And, and some of the pictures were taken in my building. Did you take the pictures that he was using? I did. And then I sent them to the people at the Our Time website and says, told them about my experience and what happened. And they later wrote me back to say, yes, we found him. We're not at liberty to tell you what happened. But we can tell you we, we took appropriate measures. I don't know what that means. Did they take his profile down? Yeah, I didn't see his profile anymore. Good. And then I got off the site. And then I filed the lawsuit. He didn't show up. And I got a judgment against him. I think what's important also to note is that after I got the judgment against him, a lot of enforcement companies started reaching out to me to say, we'll go after this guy. And I said, you know what? He's probably on to his next victim. It's a waste of time. And then I decided, yeah, what's, what's the worst that could happen? We make his life miserable. And they found him living up in Rockland County with his real girlfriend. They found an account with about $21,000 in his name. They immediately froze it and sent it to me. He called them. This is March of this year to say, could you ask Donna not to take all of it? It's Oh, that would have been very kind of you, you know. Could you ask her to just take a half and I'd like to set up a payment plan with her and I would pay $180 per week. Till the end of time. <laughs> What's $180? He took $177,000. The cheek of this guy. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Well, Adam, Adam, while we were doing this recording, Adam actually uh, asked me if we should offer you the thing that he likes to do for people who are in your situation. And I said, yes, but I'm not going this time. So Adam is going to go and find him and break his knees with a bat. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth it. I mean, come I on. Can... I'm a Jersey guy. We have certain <laughs> ways to solve things, you know. You know what? The way I try to, I try to reframe it as, as a coach, I now have this amazing book and this amazing platform. So many women have reached out to me. And I'm using this terrible situation to help others. And I'm fine. I, I had to do the healing. I had to come to terms. I had to go into therapy. But I came out on the other side. Now, now the, the women who have reached out to you, have they had similar stories to yours? Yeah, similar. Because when you think about a romance scam, you think about someone speaking with someone um, on a computer screen, someone who you've never seen and may never see, and this person is telling you the sob story, you send them money. As opposed to a romance scam, when someone immerses themselves in your life, you see them on a regular basis. I met a woman who was engaged to one, one who was married to one, and it was all to get their money in the long term. You said the magic words for me, immersion. 
So the way that romance scammers work often is they really, they do, they love bomb the people they're going after and it becomes this immersive experience of, of complete and utter devotion and attention and it's addictive. It is like a drug. And I'm wondering, like, was there something addictive about the attention or, or was this guy just, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds to me like this guy was just kind of a sociopath, but I, I'm just curious. Well, prior to him, there, I've only been in two other relationships, right? And these are two individuals, if you read the book, who were awful, awful human beings. Absolutely awful human beings. Did awful things to me. He and that's why I'm right, and, asking about the addiction side. Like, do you get, do you get, do, is there something codependent or addictive about it or no? For him, because he was so different that I was drawn to someone being kind. I was drawn to one being supportive. I was drawn to someone loving me and caring for me at a time when I desperately needed it. So I don't know if it was addiction versus this newness of someone caring for me, I thought, about me as a person versus someone planning this awful scheme. So I wouldn't call it addiction. I, I, I loved having a person. I loved having a person who cared and loved, and loved me, I thought. Do you think that he really cared? You know, I, I would have thought that if I hadn't found him on the website with a new, with a new name and onto his next victim. So I don't think he... He, he, I don't think he really cared. I think I was being primed. You know, hopefully karma gets him because uh, it doesn't sound like the legal system is having a very easy time doing that. But we're really glad to have you tell your story today. No, I, I think when you think about a romance scam, make sure your relationship is not transactional. I felt there's a part of me that was doing that to make him happy so that he would stay. After I went through therapy, that's what I kind of, discovered that's kind of how I feel I felt so unworthy of love that I felt I had to almost do something or purchase it to get him to stay do the work on yourself first we all have trauma you know do the work fix yourself heal yourself before getting in to these relationships and the third one I would say take it slowly and if something does not feel right don't excuse it away just explore it and make sure that you're comfortable with what's going on. If, if there's this gut feeling that something is off. And what I would do, I would say, well, you've been through so much trauma. That's just the trauma talking. That's why you're second guessing yourself. That's why you have to do the work and make sure you're in a good place with yourself that that person is dessert. You know, when you have a meal, you have your meal. Maybe you'll take a dessert. Maybe you won't. That's how other people have to be. You have to be the main course in your life. And everybody else is dessert. I sense a new book coming on. <laughs> Excellent advice. <laughs> your, your advice is also very important for another reason, too. There are many relationships in this life that are transactional, that may not end up with somebody handing $177,000 over to somebody to do work that never happened. But relationships where people get into it because it is transactional and because they want a different kind of life and that person can give them that life, but that's all there is. So your advice also is very appropriate for everyone to listen very carefully. 
And I, I've been in a relationship now for almost five years with an amazing human being. He's a, he's a retired police officer and he's just oh, a great, he doesn't need anything from me. He has all of his own things. He need, he loves me for me. And I'm really happy and I'm really content. For the first time in my life, I'm in a relationship that is not dysfunctional. Well, it's beautiful when two people come to a relationship from strength. Yeah. And, yes. So that is so true. May it continue to be a beautiful relationship. Thank and you. Thank you so much for joining us. I, your story is is eye-opening and heartbreaking, yeah. but you came out a winner on top in the end, and that's important. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. For those listening, if you want to read Donna Hayes' book, These Broken Roads, it's available wherever books are sold. So what is our tinfoil swan this week, Adam? This week, our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline, callback scams. Okay. Uh, is this where you get an invoice to renew a service that you never requested? I get that via email a lot, but you get it via, what is it? It's something where, yeah, you get an invoice saying, you know, you're, you need to pay like three, 500 bucks or something like that. And if you think you got this in error, call back this number. And then when you call, then they try to get your credit card number out of you. Wait, so the callback scam is actually an email scam, but it involves you calling them back. The, the sneaky thing with it is that it'll often come from a actual like, legitimate domain name like uh, Outlook.com or PayPal.com. All right, so what should people do? Well, the two most important things are, first of all, to be aware of the scam itself. That if you get an invoice, don't freak out, don't call back, don't provide your credit card number. But the other thing, too, is to let your friends and family know about the scam. It tends to target people near the end of the year. It tends to target the elderly. And so the more awareness we can get out about it, the better. My daughter just texted me one and said, this is a scam, right? I, can't, I must get mm-hmm. like three or four of those a week. Is this a scam? Yes, it's a scam. <laughs> it's easy to panic when you get them. You know, you can be tricked into doing whatever the next thing is that, that's been asked of you. But Adam, what's the right thing to do? Nothing. Right. Or if you are worried about getting billed uh, incorrectly, Contact your credit card provider or your bank. Do not just call back some random guy who emailed you. And if you work at a bank, sorry, but whatever. (laughs) I'm sure you get a lot of these phone calls. That's the problem. And that's our tinfoil swan. Really? What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.